I'm Alex Craner. This is Sarah Swain. This is Terry Clark. This is Tom Korski. I'm Trish Wood. This is Dr. Peter McCullough. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Wednesday. Hope everybody's uh, week cruising along. Ha- Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, and uh, we got uh, a couple of special ones here Wednesday and Friday. I've been I've been talking about it now for the last week. But um, through 2020, 2021, I did a series of 49 archive interviews for uh, Lloyd Minster in the area. And um, I had two left that I have been saving for... Christmas. That I, I figured it would be, uh, you know, uh, here's some life stories of some community pillars from our area, and uh, give you an idea of of some of what makes Lloyd special. And certainly, uh, I'm waiting until this time of year. I thought was uh, well, just perfect. Either way, um, I hope you enjoy. Uh, that'll be today, Wednesday, and of course uh, Friday, and then we're back to regular. Let's rock and roll. Uh, come uh, next week, which I mean is already going to be the new year. Like, holy moly. Uh, either way, uh, Merry Christmas to you all. I know we're, we're past and uh, Happy New Year coming up here. Um, thanks for being here yet again and supporting the podcast as we roll along. Uh, certainly looking forward to what 2023 is going to bring, and I, I think it's going to be a lot. Um, <clears throat> I should um, point out, it's, it's looking like... Um, January 22nd, Sunday, January 22nd, um, here in Lloydminster. I know I'd said it was going to be elsewhere, but as fate would have it, I got Vance Crow in, in Lloydminster. And uh, if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, think awfully highly of Vance Crow. He uh, hails from St. Louis, Missouri, and he's uh, goes around speaking to different uh, groups, uh, usually agricultural groups. Anyways, he's he's in Lloydminster, uh, funny enough, uh, coming in. He's in Edmonton, and he's making a trip out to Lloydminster, I should say. And Quick Dick McDick is he's in Vermilion on the twenty first. So we're 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 putting together a show for the twenty second. That's Sunday, uh, the twenty second here in Lloydminster about the uh, rural urban divide, and it's going to have Vance Crow and Quick Dick McDick as two of the panelists. I'm I'm might be adding a third. We'll we'll see. Either way, uh, as soon as tickets go on sale for that, just look for social media, and I'll certainly talk about it here. Would love to have you in Lloyd again for for another show. I, you know, one one of those. It's kind of just like it's falling in my lap. Like, I, I'm, what am I supposed to do here? I'm like, well, I, I guess we put on a show, and I guess we talk about some stuff, and and it's an SMP presents. You know, it's going back to what we did in March and have a little bit of fun and and all that good stuff. Either way. I'm blabbering on. I appreciate you guys uh, coming along for the ride. I appreciate all the sponsors, uh, and you're going to hear about a few of them here shortly. Uh, you know, signing up, coming back, blah, blah, blah. It's just been, you know, a full year of podcasting, and um, certainly there was a couple months off in in um, in April, but since then it, it has been just, you know, pardon the language, but balls to the wall. It has been a it has been a fun stretch here and fun just I mean uh, the the variety of guests and everything else the opportunities is just uh, you know something I I don't know if I could have put into words three and a half years ago when I first started the podcast I don't know if I would have thought I'd be sitting where I'm sitting and a lot of that has to do with you uh, you find folks who continue to follow along with the podcast support it share it etc so um, 
look forward to hearing uh, from you guys all through 2023 about the different uh, shows coming and everything else. Either way, let's get to today's episode. Uh, and before we get there, of course, the sponsors. Go back to episode 337. Uh, because you know, Blaine and Joy Stefan, you know, I've, I've started to run into these guys. We're, we're in the midst of uh, putting together a, a, a men's group. You probably heard about that uh, on last episode, and and uh, just trying to open up some conversation, get guys talking, give them some some uh, you know the ability to speak about some issues and things that are going on in our lives and everything else. So they've been uh, uh, key parts of that, and uh, they've signed back on for 2023. I'm excited to have Guardian Plumbing and Heating. And uh, they need guys, you know, and I was saying to them, they need, you know, they're like everybody else in Lloydminster right now with, uh, with with workforce. They're looking for people. And one of the things I think you should know is uh, uh, when it comes to Guardian Plumbing, they never forced anyone. They, they allowed, they protected all their employees. I think that's pretty pretty unique, pretty cool about uh, what they've what they've done there. And so, um, you know, what makes they say what makes their, what makes them different is they they work seven days on seven days off. I, I now I was chuckling about it with them. I said, you know, what makes you different is the fact that uh, you didn't mandate your employees uh, one way or another. You let them uh, decide for themselves. You gave them the space. I think that's pretty cool. And if you're uh, somebody sitting across uh, this great country of ours and you're looking for an opportunity where you know you're going to come in and not be, uh, uh, you know, pushed it when the government comes the next time, if that ever comes, um, Guardian Plumbing and Heating it would be a place to land. And, uh, you know, they're looking for uh, plumbers, HVAC techs, installers, apprentices, uh, just, uh, you know, go to guardianplumbing.ca uh, and of course if you're in the area you can spe- schedule your next appointment anytime from there Jim Spenrath and the team over at Three Trees they are they are signed up for 2023 too as well and uh, 2023 as well geez that sounded odd coming out of my mouth anyways hey how, how you doing Wednesday of uh, between Christmas and New Year's uh, anyways yeah, I'm having fun on this side um they, uh, if you get into uh, three trees, they're signed up for next year. I already said that. I'm going in circles here, folks. Apologies. Um, they, uh, they, uh, what am I trying to say here, Sean? Oh, man. Hey, like, whoo, must be the holiday break. They have uh, at, uh, at three trees, can't even spit it out. Oh, Mackinac. You know, I, I was saying to, to everybody as I'm doing my, my December, my December's been quite busy, you know, because I go around and I'm trying to get businesses to sign back on for 2023. And we were talking about the ads. And I said, oh, I've started this about six months ago, where if I start screwing up, and you're hearing it right now, I just keep going. And this pains me inside so much, because I just want to stop and start again, but I'm not going to do that. Okay, so what I'm trying to say about three trees is you got uh, a few more days if you go in there, and um, whether you just you know, buy a beverage or you buy a meal. They give you this uh, envelope that's sealed. And in January, you can go back in and they'll open it. They have to open it. And then it gives you a certain percentage off of one meal. So you could get a free meal if you, you know, anyways, I thought it was super cool. They have me intrigued. I, I got a card and I put it in my pocket. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't wait to go back in January. Yes, that's exactly what I thought. Anyway, stopping in three trees today, uh, especially in uh, here in the late stage of, of 2022 and get yourself one of those sealed envelopes. So in, in January, you can go back. The deer and steer butchery. They've signed back on. Hey, how are we doing? Huh? 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 Anyways, um, uh, 
sat and talked with Brian here, and and uh, I've appreciated Brian's support. Brian uh, was uh, it, well was one of the group in our book club that uh, you know started meeting in 2018, and um, was one of the original guys I threw the idea of the podcast at. And uh, having his support has been has been really cool. And uh, well, of course, they they opened a butcher shop on Highway uh, 16, Range Road 25. It was used back since 1995. Now they've given it a facelift. They're they're constantly looking for new ideas and uh, and new people and so they've been uh, put out the word for for uh, uh, whether you're a butcher you know in the area or maybe you're afar. Here's another uh, group of people that uh, really really have your your values. Um, I don't know how better to say that. I don't know why that came out so odd. Anyways, um, if you're in the area and you're looking at getting, uh, you know, an animal or, or you got some, uh, wild game, that type of thing, uh, they can, they can get you hooked up. Give them a call. 780-870-8700. And Eggland, uh, started back in 1957. I love doing the history because you, you, you know, like you wonder what a little consistency does, uh, when you, uh, stick with something. Well, they started with a staff of six back in that 57, 60 plus years later. Now they have multiple locations, Lloydminster, Vermillion, St. Paul, and a staff of 130. Think of what that's done for the area. Anyways, they sell and service John Deere, Brent, Brent, Bobcat, Dangleman, and AA trailers. All you got to do is go to eggland.ca to check out their full inventory. Finally, Gartner Management, Lloydminster-based company. I was uh, saying if you're looking, you know, for a change of scenery, you're stuck in your house, wherever you're at, Wade's been uh, phenomenal to deal with, and I don't use that word lightly. He's been he's been exceptional. Uh, give him a call, 780-808-5025 if you're looking for, you know, maybe starting 2023 off in a, a, a change of scenery, or maybe, you know, you're like me, and you, you just can't, like, you can't do this at home with all the kids and everything else. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I need, I need a space. Either way. Uh, I don't, I haven't done a nine-minute ad read, folks, in a long time, so it must be the holiday season. I swear, I don't even, I don't even have a, uh, you know, like uh, an eggnog in front of me or anything. This is just, uh, I guess Sean's in a good mood today. And he screwed up about six times. Either way. Let's get on to that tale of the tape brought to you by Hancock Petroleum. For the past 80 years, they've been an industry leader in bulk fuels, lubricants, methanol, and chemicals. Delivering to your farm, commercial, or oil field location. For more information, one second. Did I mention Hancock's back in for 2023? They are. Anyways, visit them at HancockPetroleum.ca. Family man, business owner, community pillar. He was a part of the group who purchased the Edmonton Oilers back in 1998. Talking about Keith Weaver. So buckle up. Here we go. Okay, it is October 24th, 2021. I'm sitting with Mr. Keith Weaver. So first off, sir, thanks for uh, hopping in. My pleasure. Now, uh... In these, we go back to uh, the early days uh, and see what we can drum out of, you know, the early memories of your life. Uh, being born in 1945, obviously, um, a lot was going on in that year, uh, as mm-hmm. we uh, not can all recall. But I mean, you read a textbook or two, you you figure out there was some big world-changing events happening then, mm-hmm. uh, with the World War II uh, coming to an end. Um, what's maybe your first memories into the 40s? Uh, when you go back you know of course i i don't remember you know i was born in 45 so i don't remember that you know those things but 
when you start to recall, you know, in the 50s, and my dad and mom and dad would tell me about it, and, you know, and I'm sure, like my parents grew up through the 30s, and, you know, they relay to me all the hardships that everybody had in those times. So, you know, you learn to appreciate what you had. And in those days, nobody had very much, you know. We all thought we we did, but we looking back, you really didn't have much. And, you know, and my first memories was my dad built me a rink and uh, when I was just a little guy and the hours we'd spend on the rink and, you know, just the good times. And so, yeah. It's funny how uh, when you don't have much, like it's hard to compare times. Now we, yes, have, so, we have so much. I, I, you know, I, I look at my grandkids now and what they have, you know, and they, and they take it for granted, you know, not just my grandkids, all the kids of, you know, this era, totally different life. I mean, like I say, back when we were young, we didn't have much, but we didn't know we didn't have anything. We thought we had everything, you know, I mean, we went to school, we played hockey, we, you know, everything was good. And, uh. And I remember, you know, back in the days, uh, Sundays, every Sunday, it was either at our house or a relative's house, we always had Sunday gatherings and, you know, and in the summertime, picnic, family picnics, and, you know, those are things that the young generation now, they don't get to enjoy as much, I don't think, but different times. The pace is different too, isn't it? The pace is much different, yeah. You know, before we before we got going, you're talking about Penticton and having uh, a granddaughter there and Okotoks and yeah, a grandson yeah. there, and and I found it interesting because in your lifetime, did you ever think you'd get to a point where you have grandkids all over the map and you can sit there and watch them from your home no. play wherever they're going to be? Because fast hockey has become it, it, no, it's immense. incredible. I, I mean, I remember when I was a young boy, our big trip hockey trip was to North Battleford once a year and we thought that was the other side of the world you know and that was a big deal to us now my oldest grandson he's played in Europe I mean all through the states you know it's just a different way of you know the money that's spent on them it's incredible really and uh, you can sit there at home and watch them on uh, on your iPad or computer and you know whoever would have thought yeah, you wouldn't. Did you think back as a young kid you'd ever? Could you even imagine what we're doing right now? Oh, absolutely not. No, 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 no. You know, no. Things have just. You know, of course, back then there was no internet. There, you know, there was none of this. You know, life was very simple back then, and in a lot of ways it was good. I think. How how uh, how so was it good? You appreciated everything you did. You never took anything for granted. Uh, a lot of family time, relatives, you know, that kind of thing. Where I think the young generation today, I mean, they're so involved in what they do that it's almost like they don't have time for the things that we used to do. That's kind of my way I look at it. But I'm not saying it's bad. I mean, it's... Uh, it's different. It's different. I mean, my parents back then could never have afforded to do what these young kids get offered to, you know, today. You know, I mean, hockey is uh, almost an elite sport now, you know. Well, of all the sports, Keith, I think we can both agree it is an elite sport. Yes. The amount of money to play it, just to play it. 
Oh, no, it's incredible, you know. And I don't even know how much money it costs. To, you know, of course, that's something that... Well, uh, put, put a case in point, U7 hockey, initiation, or maybe back in the day, Tom Thumb, yeah. whatever we called it back then, and whatever you called it back then. Uh, right now, just to have your kid enrolled in it is 700 bucks before you get into... Oh, I know, no, I know. Before you get into the equipment and everything else. And I'm not saying it's bad. It's just no. compared to... Going and playing soccer, where it's like a sixty dollar fee, and you have a pair of shoes, and you run around and kick a ball. It's different. Well, I mean, my these hockey sticks, just for an example, are three hundred and fifty dollars. What did you use for a hockey stick well, growing up? <laughs> I remember we used to go to McLeod store and buy a hockey stick for, in my mind, two dollars and something a stick, and you know the old wooden stick and. And uh, we used to tape it up, and we'd get cracks in it and tape it. And getting a new stick was a big deal, you know. And, you know, I don't remember when you were young, you maybe used one, maybe two sticks a year, you know, sort of thing. And, yeah, it's just it's a totally different. Uh, Do you remember what type of wood stick you used to buy? I, the brand I believe was? it was a Sherwood, if I remember correctly. And did you curve it yourself? No, 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 that, when I, no, there's no such thing as a curved stick back then. They're all straight. Yeah, they're all straight, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you're going back uh, 65 years. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, no, I mean, yeah, things have changed. And the equipment, I mean, uh, it was always hand-me-down equipment and, uh, you know, your old gloves had holes in them and. You never thought anything of it. That's just the way you did it. Everybody did it that way, you know. And getting a new pair of skates, that was, you know, you had to get new skates because you were growing, but uh, that was a big deal too. I don't remember what skates would cost back then, but now these young people, you know, playing elite hockey at least, they're $1,000 skates. You know, it's, it's crazy, but it's what it is. And that's why where I come from when I say it's an elite sport now, and you know, well, I don't think uh, I agree with you. I mean, it's just compared to other sports we yeah. have, it's yeah. an expensive sport. Oh, terribly expensive, yeah. you know. But you know, these kids, I mean, if they can get an education out of it, and uh, you know, and I mean, making a career out of it, that's that's tough. I mean, there's very very few are able to do that, but who knows? You know, it can happen. Well, if you put all your energy and effort behind it, you oh, can yeah. move the world, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I know. And I, and I watch, you know, like I say, my oldest grandson. I mean, the hours a day he spends, uh, it's incredible. He came out this summer and spent 10 days with us at the lake. And uh, every morning he was up at 6 o'clock, ran 5 kilometers in the morning, come home, swim for a half a mile. And then have breakfast and then go skate for two hours. This is on holidays, you know. And they work, he's in the gym for two hours a day. And yeah, it's, it's you crazy. Think, you think at his age, back when you were younger, you could have motivated yourself to be? No, 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 nobody, nobody did. And, you know. So, you know, it's interesting about this young generation is, you know, they, they have, um, they're just different even from my my generation yes. and they're not that far removed from me no and you know you, you you go man they lots of people say they're soft and they you know they sit at home and they watch netflix and they don't blah 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 and then i hear that story and i go 
I don't know who could have motivated me to do that. Yeah, no, no. That's a special type of a person who can who can motivate themselves at the lake to be pushing that hard. It just seems to me that they know they have to do it if they want to be competitive. You know, like my observation is um, they know there's no shortcut. You know, so they have to be prepared to do what's required. So basically what they do, I mean, they're, they're in training 12 months a year, you know. And back in the old days, I mean, um, like my brother-in-law played in the NHL for, I think it was 12 years. Um, back then, I mean, they went to training camp to get in shape, you know. They never worked out in the summertime and, you know. But it's so competitive now. I mean, if they want to make it, this is what they have to do and... And it just looks to me like there's no sh- it, it, there's no sh- way you can shortcut it. You know, you either do it or get or out. You get, or you get left behind. Like, yeah, you got left behind, yeah. yeah. You know, exactly. So anyway, I get, it's good. It's good. But uh, it's like a lot of things today that is, are so much different than back in the day, you know. What are some that stick out in your mind? You know, we talked an awful lot about sports or hockey in particular. What's some other things that well, have really Well, you know, changed? when I was a young person growing up, uh, Lloyd Minster, I believe, uh, was 4,000, maybe 5,000 people. Uh, the stores would close every Wednesday afternoon. Nobody was open. They were all closed on Sunday. And it was very much more a laid-back lifestyle. I mean, people worked hard, but they didn't, you know... Today, it's almost a 24-7 thing to me, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's much more uh, driven today than it was back then. I mean, people worked hard back then, but they also enjoyed themselves more, I think, you know, like, you know, just the shops all closing on Wednesday afternoon and people would go to the lake and, you know, or do whatever and, you know, family time. Now, not so much. I, you know, it's pros and cons to that, isn't there? Yeah, no, there is certainly, yeah. certainly. And you know, you can never go back, and nobody ever says that the old days were the, were better. But it was different back then. That's you know, really. Yeah, you you can't go back, but you'd certainly love to bring some of the values uh, with. Yes, yes, yeah. And and the one thing that always sticks in my mind was the family time that we spent when I was young versus today. I mean, they're so busy today, you know. Um, well, let's talk about that family time. You mentioned uh, family reunions, that type of thing. What are some of your fond memories or what sticks out to you about that family time? Well, you know, and I try, and I tell my grandkids this, every Sunday my mom would have friends, relatives in for uh, Sunday supper, and it would be, you know, 14, 20 people, you know. Every Sunday? Every, well, either at our place or we went to somebody else's okay, place. Okay. You know, it seemed like every second Sunday we would be at a, another relative's place. But yeah, it was just a thing that w- they did back then. And I and most families did it back then. And we've gradually got away from that. You know. Was all your family in the vicinity then? How yes. far how far well, away? Well, most of my yeah, all our family, uh, while well, the furthest w- way we had family was in Edmonton, but all our relatives were kind of in a, yeah, in the area within 10 miles, I guess, you know. That's different too now, isn't it? Oh, yeah. No, everybody's spread out. Like in our case, we have a daughter in, in Boston. Well, how often, you know, 
they come to the lake every summer for two months and uh, you know we get together once or twice during the year other than that but yeah but that in itself is different isn't it you know and uh, so yeah, the families just get spread out now I you know when I look around not just our family but most families not all but a lot of them so it's a you know it's just a different time you know? well I can speak to that I, I married a Minnesota girl so well, she there you go she lives yeah. up here and it's the same yeah. thing and back in my day that most likely wouldn't have happened how would you meet somebody from Minnesota because you know I mean I never got a I never left Canada till I was I don't know I can't even remember I was probably 40 years old before I ever got out of the country you know <laughs> when when you first left the country where did you go well we're in the states but uh, yeah I guess we're a little bit younger. Uh, we took a little, some buddies and that, took a little road trip into the Dakotas and that and thought that was a big deal and, you know. But we were just never, we never thought about those things, you know, and, but uh, it's good. I, I mean, I, I think it's good now. I mean, everybody's traveling and they're doing this and they're doing that. And, but, you know, back in the day, I always call it back in the day, but back in the day, you never thought about those things, you know. Well, the, I mean... The ability to get to the other side of the planet now. Well, I mean, you're seeing Elon Musk and those guys are doing. Well, uh, oh, absolutely. Going up into the atmosphere. The world is so small now. Back when I was a young fellow, the world was huge. I mean, you never thought about going to Europe. I mean, why would you go to, well, I don't know why you would go to Europe, but it costs money and you never had the money and so you never thought about it. Really, most of us anyway. So you just stayed home and worked and tried to get ahead, and and then later in life you were able to enjoy, reap the benefits of what you did. As a young guy, where did you go to school? Did you go to school in Lloyd? In Lloydminster, yeah. Well, well I started. No, I started in uh, uh, a school four miles from home called Durness, and I went there for. Uh, I think I went there for four years, and then I went to Streamstown for two years. So I believe it was grade seven. I we came to Lloyd to school, and then I got my rest of my education in Lloyd. And single room. Uh, the first uh, six years of your schooling, then single room schoolhouse. Uh, Durness was a single room school, one to nine, and Streamstown was a two room school, and that was a big deal. Two room school. Can you imagine? You know, sort of thing. But anyway, and then they moved us to Lloyd, and they were changing things up, and. Anyway, yeah, so I... Take us back to the single or the double. Um, that's something that even, like, you know, me coming from the farm, I get to drive by some of them old schools and go like, man, can you imagine? Oh, I know. It was, yeah, it was so different, you know. I remember uh, my first school in grade one. I mean, the first row was grade one kids, and the next row was grade two kids, and the next three, and I'm up to grade nine, and, you know, the teacher would spend you know, X amount of time with the grade ones and then then move on to the grade twos. And yeah, it was just, it's hard for people now to even comprehend something like that. Well, that's why it's good to talk about it. Yeah. To yeah. try and capture something. And it was good, it. you know. I mean, um, we got our education and we thought we were doing well and I think we were and, you know. So, but now it's... Uh, well, I, I mean, I just got told that Lloyd, the comprehensive high school is doing now i'm going to butcher this i'm apologies to whoever listens to this when they find it but i want to say a 36 million dollar renovation on or addition not renovation onto the comprehensive high school i'm like holy moly 
Yeah, no, no. It's it's hard to get your head around. You know, the older you are, the harder it is to get your head around things like that, you know. Um, I mean, everything we do now costs so much money, you know. A new vehicle today costs more. I built a brand new house in 1975, and a new car today costs more money than... Well, how much, did, how much did your house cost back then? $40,000. $40,000. Did you yeah. b- help build it? No, no. Nelson Lum- it was a Nelson Lumber home. They built it from start to finish, $40,000. I was able to move in. And I remember, you know, I went to the bank and I needed to borrow some money to build this house. And the bank manager was where my dad dealt. And so I, you know, I knew him quite well. And, um, uh, Told him what I wanted to do, and he said, oh, yeah. He says, no problem. We'll lend you the money, but you have to have 10% down, which was... Uh, $4,000. No, no, 25% down, excuse me. Oh, okay. $10,000. He said, when you get $10,000 to put down on this house, we'll lend you the rest. That's so different than now, you know, 25% down. But anyway... That means when you that house was finished, you only had thirty thousand dollars. Forty thousand. Oh, Forty thousand. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, ten thousand on my own and thirty thousand on the banks. Yeah. yeah, and it was a nice house. It was a very nice house, seventeen hundred square feet, and uh, yeah. I'm just trying to think. You know, you got thirty thousand owing on a house. How long of a mortgage did you take? Well, on you know, I can't recall that. To be honest with you, I can't recall that. But I remember, I, I want to say it was probably. Took me ten years to get it paid off, and now you think it's twenty-five to thirty-year mortgages. I'm oh, sure I you know. could have oh, taken that yeah. back then too, but yeah, no, I know it's totally different now. I don't know how these young people, uh, you know, the price of these houses now. I mean, mind you, don't have to near as much down, but I, you know, still got to pay. It's mind-boggling. It you still got to be paid for. Yeah, you know, still got to be paid for. But anyway, life moves on. What was your first car? Uh, my first car was a used GMC Halfton. I think it was a 56, I believe it was. And, and I don't even remember what that cost, to be honest with you. I remember my, my dad uh, bought it for me. And that would be, I don't know, $1,500 maybe, or maybe less, I don't know. But, was it a standard by Oh, chance? yeah, no, no, it was just a plain Jane truck and... Uh, I got to use it for my personal endeavors, and we used it on the farm, and that's why we he bought me a half done, so, you know, kind th- of a dual-purpose thing. And I think of these kids today, even even my, well, I'm not, I, I grew up on a standard vehicle, right? Yeah. Driving the stick, and now, I, th- I, I don't even know if you can buy one off the line. No, I don't. I, I'm sure you can't. No, no. How did you, did you have, um... To get a license back then, did you have to go for a, a roadside test? Yes, you did. And I remember this, and this is one of my fondest memories. The uh, examiners came to Lloyd every second week, and I think it was on a Wednesday, if I remember correctly. And the alternate Wednesdays, they went to Vermilion. So the way my birthday f- fell, uh, I had to wait two weeks to get my license before they came back to Lloyd. And my mother, God bless her, took me to Vermilion to get my license. 
So I had my license uh, a couple days after I turned 16, and that was a big deal. And then I was on my own. And that, you know, when I look back, <clears throat> there was two birthdays that you look forward to having. One was your 16th, so you can get your driver's license. And back then, you had to be 21 to go into the bar. That was a big deal. And so those are the two birthdays I look forward to having, and I haven't looked forward to having one since. <laughs> <laughs> Other than it's, be, it's better than the alternative. <laughs> At twenty-one, where was the place you were you were itching to get into? And well, I, it, I have to assume at twenty-one you've been into it a couple times. Well, but, well, oh yeah, we did what we shouldn't have done, of course, and uh, we all do. Yeah, but uh, Prince Charles, and that was there was only two uh, hotels in Lloydminster at that time: the Prince Charles and the uh, Alberta. So, yeah, that was a big deal. And, you know, just and just for the record and not to promote drinking or whatever, but I remember this just like it was yesterday. You could go into the Prince Charles Hotel and a glass of beer was a dime. No, oh, that's pretty cheap. Compared to today, that's pretty darn cheap. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's just how things, you know, change. And, uh, yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of things, you know, you can go back to in those days, what it cost then and what it costs now. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's astronomical, but interesting. Well, wait, what was the thing at the Prince Charles on a Friday or Saturday night to do? I mean, obviously you're having a couple beverages. Was it a dancing bar? Was it yeah, a Yeah, there, there was a cabaret downstairs and, you know, uh, music and dancing and, you know, yeah. And that was a big deal and everybody went and, uh, yeah. Life was so simple back then. I mean, you know, and of course back then there was no drugs and, you know, alcohol was the only sin, I suppose. And, you know, but it didn't seem to cause, you know, I don't, I never thought it caused a lot of problems back then. And, you know, everybody was working and they went out on the weekends and did their thing. And, and the other big thing I remember back then was the Lloydminster Drive-In, which was two miles south of town. And that was a big deal during the summer everybody went in the weekends to the drive-in and you know I, how many cars would be there i'm not sure four or five hundred you know four just, or five hundred oh at the yeah drive yeah it was a big deal it was a big deal we all went you know you sit there and all your friends are there and your visit and you know whatever and yeah Tune into it on the radio, and, and that's how you... Oh, you had your speaker. You put it on the on your window down and hung the speaker inside the car and watched the big screen, and... Uh, well, you got you, you're you talking to a guy who's never been to a drive-in before. Yeah. What do you mean you got a speaker? Well, uh, to listen to the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, the movie is on the big screen. Right. I mean, it was a huge screen, and uh, the speaker, so you listen to the movie. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, th but they gave you a speaker? Or yeah, was there, there parking there, there, stalls? There's a post there. You pulled up beside the post. You picked the speaker up off the off the post and hung it on your inside your windshield or your, your, your side door. Are you telling me they had four to five hundred oh, posts yeah. set up in oh, stalls? Oh yeah, yeah, rows, rows and rows of them. Oh yeah, it was. And you know, the only one that I know right now, there's one uh, that I see in BC, northern uh, north of uh, Vernon. There's an old drive-in movie. And people still go to it. But back then, it was a way of, it was just something. That well, it young, was entertainment. Yeah, it was entertainment. It was just something that young people did, you know. And it was good, clean fun. And, uh, oh, yeah, we used Listen, to Listen, when, when, when I was that age, 
we go we go to the the movie theater in town, right? Like yeah, it's the same idea, <clears throat> same just a idea, concept. Yeah. You know, and then of course the uh, drive-in was only open in the summer. I w- want to say from I don't remember exactly, probably May first till middle of October. You know, then they'd shut it down, and then of course you had the two movie theaters in town where you could go, and you know, yeah, yeah. But, oh, no, that was a big deal back then. And, uh, you know, in the old A&W with the car hops, you'd pull in there and order your root beer and your whatever, and the car hop would bring and deliver it to you in the car. And and everybody hung out there, you know. And, uh, you know, very innocent good times. You know, you could <clears throat> when I was 16 years old, and I don't remember exactly, but if you came to town with five dollars i mean that got you you and your girlfriend into the drive-in and you could buy a hamburger and a root beer afterwards and you know it never took a lot of money but of course in five back then five dollars was a lot of money i suppose you know if you want to fast forward to today but uh but like i say a very simple life but a good life you know so anyway do you miss going to the A and W uh, and not having them come right to you? You know, well, like yeah, the, I, I think about it different times. You know, when I stop at the A and W now, and uh, you know, you got to go in and or or through the drive or the drive through is, yeah. is the big thing, of course. And, yeah, uh, yeah, because back then the, the car hops. That I mean, you would park there for maybe two hours, and your friends are all there. You're visiting back and forth, and you know, just hangout i guess is what it, you know and you see that in the old movies you know and the, the car hops and what have you yeah and it brings back fond memories i'm curious when you went to the drive-in what's one of the movies that you you can't forget like that was oh, a good movie you know i can't i remember james bond was a big thing you know uh and i was never really a movie buff i mean i just went for because it was something to do, you know. So I, you know, to really answer your question about movies that I can't forget, I don't. You pulled into the stall, hung the speaker in the window, got out, and went and walked and talked. Yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. You know, that must have been quite the sight. I'm just trying to imagine four or five hundred cars oh, all yeah, pulled no, in. No, yeah, and you know, do you know where it where it was in Lloyd? Just it was just south of Lloyd. Now there's a some kind of a grain business there. But anyway, when the movie was over, the cars would be coming back into town. They were lined up on the highway for two miles and one after the other. And, uh, yeah, every night. So. After high school, when you graduate, what do you do? Where do you go? I went back to the farm. uh, And my dad retired in about 1970. So I took over the farm, and I ran that, and uh, then in 1974, I started a livestock order buying business, like every other business that starts, very small, and I worked at that for 40 years. Why why did you go into that business what was attractive to it at if i'm doing the math correctly you were 29 yes yeah approximately that um well i started actually it started quite innocently really i was buying my own cattle i used to at that time i was running a 
I bought a thousand grass cattle and I'd buy them myself and then oh somebody you know would you pick me up a few and you know and that one thing led to another and uh, and I built it into a business we were dealing uh, right across Canada from Quebec to BC and a lot of business in the central US Kansas Nebraska down through there and Dakotas and uh, yeah built it into a a great business, really, and had a lot of fun doing it. And, uh, you know, and it afforded, you know, uh, afforded me to do as as we were going forward, afforded me to, the opportunities to do a lot of different things that I quite enjoyed doing. And, you know, not sure I'd have been able to do that if I'd have just stayed on the farm, you know. So, I, but I did both. I had the farm and uh, and the order buying business. How many how many cattle would you see in a year? Well, we used to when in our peak. Uh, well, I don't know how many we would see, but we were buying upwards of two hundred thousand cattle a year from North America, from Canada, yeah, like, and the United we, we, States. The sales that we covered, we covered sales from. Well, Lloyd Minster, obviously, uh, Prince Albert, Saskatoon, Vermilion, Provost, Clyde, Alberta. Uh, we covered a lot of sales and, you know, and did that every every day of the week, basically. So those were the, you know, those were the good deaths. And I did that until I retired 10 years ago. And, you know, did a few other things along the way and... Uh, when when you're looking back over forty years of business of doing that, um, if you could go back to your twenty nine year old self, go mm-hmm. back in time, and go, listen, I got all this wealth and knowledge. I know exactly what you're about to go through. You're going to make some big blunders. What would be some of the blunders or some of the advice you'd try and give to steer yourself away from some of the pain spots? <sighs> Well, you know, it's like that old Kenny Rogers song. You have to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And there's, that's so much, there's so much truth in that. You know, you would get yourself in trouble because you wouldn't walk away from, you know, a deal that you got yourself involved in and didn't turn out very well. Just try to avoid those things and, you know, just do good business. And basically that's it. And But that, but that applies to all businesses, you know. I mean, uh, people get themselves in trouble in business by expanding too quickly, you know, not on top of things as well as they should be. And, you know, and the old saying in business, watch your receivables because they can kill you, you know, things like that. But, uh, no, but it was a great business and, uh, you know, it was very time consuming. You know, it was basically six days if not seven days a week and uh you know very little time off i took one holiday when my kids were young we went to took them to to uh hawaii and that was probably the only holiday they were ever on you know when they were going through school and you know just because we didn't or i didn't feel we had the time and anyway just keep your nose to the grindstone and did you enjoy it Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, it was it was a way of life, really. And 
But then, you know, it afforded you to do other things and get involved in other things too, you know, that if I hadn't done it, I wouldn't have been able to get involved in. So that made it that much more enjoyable, you know, the other things that I was able to do besides that. And, uh, yeah, because not necessarily all good things cost money, but most of them do. It seems like it anyway. You know, and I never had any hobbies back then because I never had time. I mean, I just, you know, was working and whatever. Anyway. Well, 40 years of, of doing one thing, especially from infancy to, you know, 200,000 animals in a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of growth there. Oh, no, there is. And, and, that, and that took a long time to get there. You know, I mean, you don't do that overnight, you know. Because it's a very personal business. I mean, it's all about contacts and, you know, and it's like every other business. You have to do it properly or it won't succeed. But, uh, you know, it, it takes a long time. But it, it, most businesses take a long time, you know. I mean, you look around uh, Lloyd Minster and the people that started businesses from, from nothing and grew it up to great businesses and then the big boy would come along and buy you out for however many million dollars and you know there's a lot of people made a lot of money in this town you know in the oil business especially you know just by starting out and taking a chance and working hard and you know did you ever work in the oil field did you ever think no about it? no i never i never did uh no because i just went to the farm and no i i had nothing to do with the oil business i had a lot of fr good friends that were in the oil business you know but uh no, I never, I never thought about the oil business, just because of my situation. I got to, uh, I got to interview Cal Nichols. Um, oh yeah, I don't know in the this summer. Yeah, this summer I got to interview, him. and um, in my research, I obviously stumbled across the Lloyd names, and he talked about uh, uh, Larry McKelkey a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, yourself and the consortium of yeah. five. Yeah. Uh, were part of a group that helped purchase the Oilers and keep them in Edmonton. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. And, you know, when I look back on that, yeah, we were involved for 10 years. And um, and had it not been for my order buying business, I wouldn't have been able to do it. But I was offered the opportunity. You know, I really, at the time, wondered why or should I and, you know, Anyway, we went ahead and did it. And, and my thought process at the time was, because there was no guarantee it was going to work. You know, we thought it would, but, you know, you you never know. And for a long time, it looked like it wouldn't work. But I thought to myself, you know, this is an opportunity. It's only going to happen once, either take it or leave it, to be involved in a professional sport, you know, as an owner. And looking back now, and a lot of fond memories, you know, over that. You know, and Cal Nichols was the head of our group, and, uh, and Cal did an excellent job. But we had a lot of fun doing it, you know. And one of the disappointments I, I have, and we all had, was we were one game short of winning the Stanley Cup. And... I still think about that. I mean, I was there in Carolina, and we lost. And but that's sports. Some win, you, you win some, you lose some. And we lost the you know the last game. And otherwise, you could have the ring and say you were, you know, you were there for. But anyway, could have should have thing. But it was a lot of fun, and I you know, and just to see 
the business side of it, you know. It, it was very interesting. What's something then that a fan doesn't, the regular Joe doesn't understand about the business side of the NHL? It's all business. It's all about money, you know. I mean, you got an $80 million payroll or whatever it is, and you have to have the money to compete. And um, it's just like any other business. It's all business. I mean, there's a sports side of it, but what you see on the ice, but it's it's all business. It's all money-driven and, you know. But, but it was interesting. Um, I mean, I remember my grandson, uh, I remember taking him there to the games, and, you know, he was three, four years old, and, take them in the dressing room, meet the players, and, you know, that those are things that, you know, as a grandpa, you think, well, I'm, that was pretty cool, you know, be able to take your grandson in and, you know, do that. And and that's when he told me, that's what I want to do, Grandpa. I want to play in the NHL, you know, which is every kid's dream, of course. And, uh, yeah. So it was a lot of fun. And I, we were there for, it, for 10 years, and uh, the first – five or six years didn't look like that good a deal but as it went it turned out to be fine and um, that's one of the fondest memories I have of being involved with that for 10 years you know and I and I think back I mean we used to maybe not every game but most every game we'd go home game we'd go to and you know it's a two-hour drive in and a two-hour drive home and winter weather and roads and but we never thought anything of it we just did it and it was it was great. It was what people have will have a hard time remembering is back in the you know my, some of my early memories of the Oilers. I was born in '86, so you can imagine I don't really remember no, the glory yeah, years. You wouldn't remember the glory years, no. I remember the the '90s Oilers that were squeak into the playoffs and give Dallas an absolute yeah, thumping yeah. and then losing the next round. But my I grew up with the sign that say, uh, "Stay Oilers, stay." Yeah. That was hanging on our wall because they came that close. They came that close yeah. to not being here, and you got to no. remember that's when Winnipeg left. That's when Calgary was talking about going. All the Canadian teams were talking about going back then because of the dollar and everything else. Well, you know, just to, and a lot of people wouldn't realize this, but I remember the Oilers were in trouble. The bank owned the Oilers, and they were trying to sell them to whoever. And a cousin of mine in Edmonton was on the group was involved with the group that was trying to raise the money to to buy them. So the wife and I were in Edmonton. This would be in December. I remember it very well. We were out at a restaurant, the four of us, his wife and, and my wife. And I just said to him in the course of conversation, uh, how are you making out raising the money for the Oilers? Because I, I thought it was just, you know, wouldn't be that hard to do. And he said, it's not going to happen. And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean it's not going to happen? He said, we can't raise the money. He says, there's people that have money that don't want to get involved, and, and that's very understandable. Uh, but he said, there's people that want to get involved that don't have the money, and he said, and we're going to be short. And I said, really? And I so I started throwing some names around in Lloyd, and that I told him about, and he said, well, he said, would you talk to them and see if they're interested? And, and I wasn't thinking of myself at the time. And so I did, and uh, and everybody's first reaction, no, I, no, that's out of my, not out of my league isn't maybe the right word, but it's, it's out of my comfort zone. You know, how, 
I no, how could I get involved in something like that? And I remember telling them, you know, uh, this is one opportunity if you want to take it. And like I said earlier, to to be involved in a professional sports team that, you know, should be a great experience. And so kind of one by one, they kind of come around. There were six of us in Lloyd in the end. And, uh, yeah, and everybody threw some money in, and the rest was history. We kept the team, and uh, like I said, we owned it for 10 years, and then we sold it. And, and I think when we sold it, it was time to move on. I mean, we didn't have the money to take, take the team to where it needed to be, like a new rink and that whole, you know, concept in downtown Edmonton, which I think is absolutely wonderful. So I think it was time for us to move on, and, you know, we all enjoyed it. And uh... On the Wikipedia page, you're part of the Consortium of Five. You, um, Marcel and Roger Roberge, Brian Nielsen, and Rusty Stalwick. Mm -hmm. Was it you then that go around and, and got those others on board, or yeah, how did that I, group come together? Yeah, I was together? involved in that. Um uh, uh, I was the guy that got Larry McKelkey involved. He was the first person in Lloyd to get involved. And, uh, and I was the one that kind of sold him on the idea. And then as time went, they were still having trouble raising money. And then it was Larry that kept coming back to us and, you know, we need money, we need more guys. And, you know, and that's how the rest of us kind of got involved. But I will take credit for getting Larry involved. When you look back at your decade of ownership of the Edmonton Oilers, I'm sure there's lots of memories. Stanley Cup Finals has to be. Oh, that's yeah. That, that's the cherry on the top. Yeah, that's the cherry on the top. What was the What was the building like in game? Let's go game six because game six is where it comes home, and the roof almost blows off, oh, and you win yeah. game six, and you're going back. You know, I had no experience. Um, with it, but once the playoffs started, how the city it just became electric, and it's all it was almost indescribable. Uh, you know the atmosphere, and it it was just crazy, really. And uh, I've always said a sport, a team, whether it be in Lloyd Minster, a junior team doing well, whatever town, city. It's good for the city. It's good for the people. You know, they get rally behind it, get some thinking, or gets their mind off of whatever else that they're doing. And, you know, I just always thought sports at whatever level was great for whatever community. There's a lot to be learned from sports. A lot to be learned from sports. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, and just, so just a lot of great times, you know, that as you get older, you always look back because you don't want to look ahead <laughs> for obvious reasons. <clears throat> but, you know, you look back, and, I mean, I remember sitting at a uh, sitting in a lounge talking to Gary Bettman. You know, no big deal. I mean, not that him and I are whatever, but just be able to sit there and visit with him and just a regular guy and, you know, a lot of other people. Wayne Gretzky, you know, you, you got to meet a lot of people. Who, who impressed you the most? Who, who, did you, who surprised you maybe the most, not impressed you? Wayne Gretzky, probably, because he's so down to earth. You know, uh, you visit with him. It was never about him. It was just just a regular guy. 
you know there was no airs about him and yeah i and i had the opportunity to uh visit with him on oh, numerous occasions and yeah i just found him very very down to earth and you know he is what you see on tv he's just a well-spoken nice guy yeah you know he, he is what you see and you know so yeah and all the people that were involved with the orders at the time you know the cal nichols and you know just regular guys you know everybody trying to do the right thing and you know approach it as a business and just in the one thing in canada that is put on such a pedestal hockey is is in a different universe so to speak yeah. and when you hit the nhl it's really in a different universe yeah, yeah. you think of that oiler run to the cup it still gives me goosebumps watching oh, yeah, anything no, about it, it it does it does me too you know we went we went to carolina we chartered a uh the owners and the players wives and what have you we chartered a plane and went down there and yeah it was just a great experience you know other than the outcome was yeah. you know was what it was and uh but yeah just a great experience and something that you never forget because as you get older really you tend to think back about all the good times you know and some bad times too of course but uh you know that's what you do you look back so those are one of the coolest things i did and uh well the coolest thing i did i guess and uh yeah so it was all but it was all fun you know you mentioned uh you've had two things in life that were life-changing one of them is your brother-in-law yeah ace and that's i mean <clears throat> yeah that way I, and i still remember that like it was yesterday it was on a tuesday morning and uh yeah, that, that's almost eerie, you know, I mean, because something like that's not supposed to happen, you know, I mean, it was crazy. And and for the listener, we're talking about 9-11. Ace, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people in Lloyd understand that, but in case they don't, um, September 11th, 2001, two planes go into the Twin Towers, and on one of those planes is Ace. Yeah, he was in the second plane, and uh, yeah, it was just... Yeah, it was. He was on his way actually to. He was uh, scouting for Los Angeles Kings at the time, and he was going to training camp. And uh, yeah, just happened to be on the wrong plane. And yeah, that was that was terrible. You know, something that never should have happened. But well, you just think yeah, there's. <clears throat> I'm not sure how many people uh, passed away during 9/11. Well, they say about 3,000. 3,000? 3, yeah. And in the the global population, that's pretty minute. It's yeah, a, oh, it's no, a, no, a, no, a pin drop. Yeah. But at the same time, it has ripple effects. And even in Little Lloyd Minster, you feel those, which yeah. is yeah. hard to wrap your head around. No, it was just... Nobody ever thought anything like that could ever happen. And it did. And, you know, and it was just people were in awe, you know. It... People didn't know what to do. You know, it was very, you know, and things haven't got a lot better since. I mean, there's a lot of crazy things have happened since then. But that was kind of the start of, you know, a lot of problems worldwide, I think. But uh, anyway, yeah, that was, uh, I remember it like it was yesterday uh, when I got the phone call. and Well, I saw it on TV. But, you know, you didn't think anything of it. I mean, you, you didn't know. Well, to start with, nobody even really knew what happened. They thought maybe at first maybe it was a small plane had flown in, you know. But anyway, 
was what it was, and it changed things, for, you know, changed the world, really. Well, even look at your life, uh, Keith. It's changed where your daughter ends up, right? You're oh, talking yeah, no, about- no, and, and, you know, and, and it had, if it hadn't have been for that, yeah, she wouldn't be in Boston, uh, living in Boston, married, you know. So, but, so that was a good thing that come out of it, but, uh, yeah. No, it was, a, it was a game changer. There's no question about it. You mentioned uh, two things in life, life-changing, one of them being 9-11. The other one was in 2014. You care to share a bit about that? Yeah, in 2014, I was diagnosed with uh, bladder cancer. And, uh, yeah, and there's a lot of people who have been diagnosed with cancer, but that, that in itself is a life-changing experience, you know. And there's a lot of unknowns. And you have no idea what the outcome is going to be. And I remember <clears throat> sitting down with my doctor in Edmonton, and he told me, he said, there's about a 50-50 chance. He said, we can go in there and maybe, you know, save your life. But he said, I can't guarantee it. And uh, he said, I won't know till we do the operation. And I remember it was an eight-hour operation. I don't remember that. I remember going into the operating room. It was an eight-hour operation. And and he came to see me the next morning, and he said he thought everything went well, and but he wouldn't know for two weeks. And so now you're waiting. You know, did they get it all or didn't they? And uh, I met with him two weeks later, and he said, yeah. He said, the prognosis looks very good. He said, we got to keep an eye on it. But he said, I think we got it all. And... Fortunately, that was seven years ago, and I'm sitting here talking to you now. So I got seven more years than I thought I might get, you know. And as of now, they think I'm cancer-free. So, you know, you cross your fingers. and Nobody knows what tomorrow will bring, but anyway. It certainly gives you a different outlook in life. You don't worry about the small things anymore. I mean, try to enjoy every day. There's an old saying, every day is the first day in the rest of your life. And try to make it the best you possibly can. And don't worry about the small things, you know. And I think if there's anything good that's come out of that, I do have that attitude now, you know. I'm not going to worry about the little things and just try to enjoy my life and my grandkids and my wife and, you know, and what we do, you know. And, uh, you know, at our age, I mean, you're retired, so you're not worrying about the business side of things. But just just try to enjoy every day like it's your last. Where's your favorite spot right now then? You know, <laughs> I always say to the wife, you know, wherever I'm at, we, we came back to Lloyd here in the middle of September and uh, we sold our house in town here. A uh, house we had for 32 years and uh, we bought a condo because we're not spending that much time here. And I always say to her when I'm here, you know, this is the greatest place, you know, and then when we go from here to Phoenix, I'm down there, and I say to, I always say to them, well, ah, this is the greatest. And then we bought a place in the Okanagan uh, seven years ago. And when we're there, of course, the grandkids are all there, and this is the best. So I kind of wherever I'm at, and I don't know if that's because of the cancer or not, but I, just, I enjoy wherever I'm at and try to do the make the best of wherever I'm at. And, yeah, so, but I mean, I'm born and raised here, so I got a lot of family here and friends here, and uh, yeah, so I just, yeah, I really enjoy coming back, but I do enjoy the winters in 
Arizona. I don't enjoy. You don't mind missing the minus 40? I don't mind that, and I don't mind missing shoveling snow. But, uh, yeah. But winters are good, you know, when you're working and growing up, you know, when we're growing up and uh, going to school and then later working. I mean, winters are fine. It's when you retire. Now, what are you going to do? What does the winter offer you when you retire? Not a lot, you know, because you don't have a lot, you know, unless you're a curler or I don't know what else you you can do. You know, I mean, I can go to Arizona and uh, play golf, play golf down there four days a week. And, you know, just it's nothing spectacular, but it's just enjoying the simple things and the weather, you know. So, yeah. What I'm taking from that is you don't mind missing the minus 40. No, I don't mind missing the <laughs> – no, I, I don't mind that at all. No, I, I don't mind that at all. But, but like I said, when you were working, it was fine. I mean, nobody enjoys minus 40 weather, but, I mean, that's what you do. That's where you grew up, and you just take it, warm your car up, and away you go. And the, the thing I always love about minus 40 – no snake likes there's minus no, 40. No, no, there's no, and no flies. No flies, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not too many things you want to survive out no, in that. No, there's always some, some good to be <laughs> taken out of everything. But uh, You've been married to your wife for 52 years, married back in 1969. Yeah. What, can, what wisdom can you give us from 52 years of marriage? Oh, my God. Uh, do what you're told. <laughs> <laughs> That seems to work quite well. Does it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't ask too many questions. Don't argue because uh, you, you don't win those. It's kind of like arguing politics. You don't win. So, no, just uh, trying to enjoy each other. And, and then, of course, as you get older, uh, your grandkids become a very important part of your life and uh, spend as much time with them as you can. And, uh, yeah, it's just a circle of life, really. And... Uh, like I say, if you don't sweat the small things, it makes life a lot easier. Like, don't worry about things that you, you know, you have no control over, you know. And I just go back to, like I said earlier, just enjoy every day like it's your last and do the best you can. Enjoy visiting people, keep in touch with your family and friends and, yeah. You mentioned uh, the day you got married, the day before they landed on the moon. Yeah, yeah. We got married on a Saturday. And uh, Sunday, uh, they put the man on the moon. So was that talk at your wedding or was anybody worried about it? You know, it? no. It wasn't. No, it wasn't. I mean, and that's an odd question. Not an odd question, but a good question. But as I recall, of course, that's 50-some years ago. No, it, we all knew that, that this is what was happening, but it wasn't a, it was a big thing when, on the Sunday when we saw them walking on the moon, that was the big, I think that's when reality really set in what it was they were doing, you know. I mean, there's a lot of hype about it before, but I don't really remember getting overly excited about it uh, at the time, but I remember watching on Sunday when they were walking on the moon and, oh my God, like, how do they do that, you know. And they haven't put a man back on the moon since then. That we know about. That we know about. Yeah, well, that's right, what we know about. But, uh, yeah. You you think, I, I just put it to probably, you know, I it's become such an iconic uh, moment in human history. Mm -hmm. um, but if you fast forward to today, and Elon Musk, I was saying before, oh, the, yeah, you know, yeah. sending the rockets up in a, um, out of the atmosphere, 
and having people up there. We just kind of keep going, oh, yeah, okay, we'll carry yeah, we, on. we take a lot of that for granted now. Yeah, so, oh, it's no big thing, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think the big thing big thing that astounds most of us, it costs whatever, it costs $250,000. To fly for, up there for five. For a 10-minute yeah. or whatever it is flight, and then, oh, my God, you know. But, yeah, we just kind of take all those things for granted now, you know. I mean, I tell my grandkids when, uh, uh, and, and your mom and dad would know about this too, but when we grew up, I mean, the internet now and, you know, all the things that these kids are afforded. When I grew up, when I was their age, we had a party line, and uh, I think our number was uh, one short and two longs. And there was 10 or 12 people on the on the same line, you know. And it's hard for these kids to grasp that. Did you always have... From the early stage, did you have uh, running water and power in your house? Yes, yes. Uh, for I don't know when I was born. Of course, you don't. Those are. But from my first memory, yes, we always had uh, running water and power. We had an old. We had a power plant that my dad had, and uh, and I don't even remember. I guess it was run with on diesel fuel. I don't even know that, but I remember the old power plant. And we had running water, yeah. And a lot of people in rural settings, at least, in those days, didn't have. It was just kind of coming in, you know. And uh, But, no, I knew a lot of people, the old outhouses. And, uh, you know, I remember, you know, when I came to Lloyd, and uh, I tell my grandkids this all the time, I came to Lloyd in grade 7. So when you're in grade 7, how old would you be? Uh, 13 i guess or whatever age it was anyway our well, biggest summer rate right in that range yeah of, our big thing on halloween was uh you and myself and my buddies we'd go around tipping over outhouses <laughs> <laughs> you know and they look at me what do you mean an outhouse grandpa you know they no concept of you know i wasn't raised with an outhouse but i knew you know but a lot of people were and lloyd minster was full of them but anyway, yeah, that's that's how times change. And you're why Halloween. We, that's where we get our mischief from is tipping out houses. I guess so. Yeah, that's yeah. evolved over the years. Oh yeah, too. no, that's evolved. Oh no, you know. And another thing that people would be horrified at today, I remember, and this was the first year I was in in Lloyd here in grade seven. Uh, they had a at the school a big Halloween uh, night. Uh, you know, I don't know what all was involved. But I remember they had a big wash tub, and it was full of apples and water. And it's called bobbing for apples. So you'd stick your head in there and try to bite the apple and come out with an apple. And if you did, you could have your apple. Well, can you imagine that? You know, and there would, how many kids? I don't know, 50 kids or whatever, bobbing for apples in the same water. Can you imagine doing that today? You know, they couldn't, they wouldn't even think of allowing something like that, you know. But, you know, for health reasons. But Well, you're going back to the time where if you didn't have running water, you'd fill up the 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 bath on a Sunday and everybody would use the oh, same yeah, bath never, water oh, yeah, to bath. Yeah. Oh, so, no, absolutely, absolutely. What do you think of COVID-19? We've been in it almost two years now, and I think of the gambit you've ran uh, in your entire life, some of the things you've seen, some of the things you've been a part of. Um, and as close ties you had to 9-11, which is the one that always sticks out for me. I can remember exactly, I'm sure everyone that was old enough to remember that can remember exactly where they were sitting. But now we're sitting in COVID-19. 
and we are, um, you know, 18, 19 months in, uh, this has been, well, this has been an entire planet coming to terms with this. You know, I remember when it started, we were in Phoenix and, uh, I remember we came home, and on the way home, we thought, well, this will be all straightened out by fall when we want to go back. And no concept that it was going to be as bad as it was, you know. And uh, then when we went back last fall to Phoenix, uh, I believe it was January they started vaccinating people. And so there again, you thought, well, we'll get everybody vaccinated and it'll be gone. And here we are a full year later, and I I hope I'm wrong, but is this something that we're going to have to live with going forward? I don't know. What does your gut tell you? Well, when I was in Phoenix, we were in Phoenix a year ago in, like I said, January, they started vaccinating people. And... Of course, we were Canadians, and we wondered, well, they won't vaccinate us. And we started inquiring, and they said, we will vaccinate everybody, no charge. We went, so you had to register on the Internet and give them your address, and then they told you where to go. We went to the, they call it the stadium, where the football Arizona Cardinals play, huge parking lot there. It was open 24-7. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. They emailed us back, told us when we were to go. We were to go at 3.30 for our first shot, and then they told us when we'd come back for our second shot and what time. So we just thought at the time the whole world was getting, or at least in North America, was getting vaccinated. And uh, then we came back home here this fall. We went to B.C. from Phoenix last spring, and everybody there seemed to be vaccinated, and then we came back here, and I was astounded how many people weren't vaccinated. You know, I literally astounded. And um, so I don't know, and of course I have no authority on it, but I think until people get vaccinated, it's going to be a lingering problem. And I'm not saying you can't get it when you're vaccinated either, but there's a less chance of you getting it, what I read. But I know a lot of people, some of my family that aren't vaccinated, and you know, and that's their choice. I mean, I don't know. Personally, myself, I've, I just had the booster shot the other day, and I hope it helps. I, I don't know. But we, I've been vaccinated for a lot of things: polio, and whooping cough, and whatever, and whatever. I don't even know what my mother, you know, but I went through it all, and. Uh, do you remember polio? I was asking Betty Evans this. Uh, no, oh. I, I no, I don't really, really remember it. I know people that had it, you know, but I remember, uh, yeah. As I recall, I mean, it was a big deal, and they come up with this vaccination, and then it seemed like it just disappeared. And I think it did disappear, you know, but I did know people that had it. You know, when I was a kid, and I don't know even know what age I'd be at the time, but uh, did do you ever remember 
uh, lockdowns or no any or, or parents making you stay at home or away from anything? No, no, no. I mean, the only thing we ever stayed, you know, when we would get the flu or the whatever and and uh you know measles or whatever then you wouldn't go to school but no there not no 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 lockdown of any sort no and you know i just think this thing blindsided us and we can all be critical of you know whoever politicians and whatever but nobody really knew how to handle this and i'm not sure they still know how to handle it they're just kind of flying by the seat of their pants and trying this and trying that and uh you know, I don't have the answers what works and what doesn't. You know, lockdowns, is that good? Is that bad? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I abided by all the rules that uh, they asked me to, you know, wear a mask, you know, social distance, you know, all those things. And I got vaccinated. My wife got vaccinated. But there again, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody really knows for sure. But I think they do have the proof out there now that the vaccines help for sure. But... I don't know. I really don't know. In your lifetime, you got to uh, witness a guy named Donald Trump then while you lived in Arizona. Yeah. What, <laughs> you know, in in the the grand scheme of a lifetime, Donald Trump is going to stick out uh, um, as a leader that, uh, well, he was different than, he still is. He's not even leading, but you still see people supporting him even though he's not oh, a president. Oh, yeah. No, no, for sure. And... There again, in United States, uh, United States is kind of split right down the middle. 50% are Democrats, 50% are Republicans. And then you have what they call the uh, people in the middle. What do they call them? Uh, anyway, that will go either way. But uh, so you're always going to have that divide. You know, half the, half the country, what I saw when I was there, half the country liked them. Half of the country hated him, you know. And we fast forward to today, and you've got Joe Biden in there. Half the people like him. Half the people don't like him, you know. Uh, what concerns me is uh, the socialist side of politics, giving people something for nothing, you know. I always tell people this. It was in the late 60s. And my dad was wanting to retire, thinking about retiring. And I remember him saying to me, you know, Canada's the greatest country in the world. You can do and become anything you want. It's up to you. He said, the country owes no money. There's no debt. You can do and become, like I said, anything you want. Well, fast forward uh, to today, 50 years or 60 years, whatever it is, the country so far in debt, Canada and United States, that I don't know who's going to pay the debt off. And I was always taught that debt had to be paid off. Somebody had to pay it. I mean, if you can borrow the money, that's fine. But just remember, you got to pay it back. And here we are. That uh, I don't know who's going to pay the debt. It's a scary thought, isn't it? No, it, it, it is a scary thought, you know. And... Um, that concerns me. You know, here we are in Canada, uh, sitting in Alberta and Saskatchewan, all this oil. I mean, we got, oh, they say the fourth largest oil reserve in the world. In the world, that's right. But 
Ontario and Quebec, they choose to import their oil from Saudi Arabia and God it knows where else. It doesn't make a lick of sense, does and it? And <laughs> we could put a pipeline down there and, and self-supply, you know, be self-sufficient, but they don't want to do that. I, I don't understand that. I really, really don't understand that. And, uh, you know, we talk about the green energy and uh, pollution and what have you, and they worry about how dirty the oil sands oil is. Well, do they take in any consideration what the oil they're buying from around the world? You know, they talk out of both sides of their mouth, really. And I just, for the life of me, I can't figure that out. You know, we had that big pipeline, you know, you're speaking to Trump. We had that big pipeline, XL pipeline going down to the States. And he was all for it. And uh, the day, first day Biden was in, he cancels it. How does that make sense? Well, that's politics, isn't it? I guess it's politics, but where is it leading us? I don't know. You know, I mean, uh, when I was a young boy growing up, the word millionaire was a big deal. Now everybody's a millionaire, I guess, if they liquidated everything they had. Or I'm not saying everybody, but a million dollars is not a big deal anymore. Then the next big word was billionaire. Well, God, that's a big word. Most people can't get their head around a million, let alone a billion. Yeah. Now they've come up with a new word, trillion, that nobody understands what a trillion is. So I'm not sure this is all good going forward. I mean, I was always taught to pay as you go. If you wanted to borrow money, it better be for a good reason, and you better know how you're going to pay it off. I mean, that was the way I was raised, and I think most people my age uh, raised were raised that way, you know. If you borrow money, it's got to be paid off, and that's what we did. But now, I guess you borrow money, and I don't know. Nobody's figured out who's going to pay for it or how it's going to get paid for. So that's something that concerns me, but uh, unfortunately, I can't do much about it. But Well, let's end on something a little more uh, lighthearted. You, you got uh, children, you got grandchildren. By my count, uh, you got the two daughters, and then you have five grandkids between That's the two correct, of them. That's correct, yeah. What did you like better? And I know this is, uh, <laughs> your kids won't want to hear this, but did you enjoy parenting or being a grandparent better? What is? Well, it? I always I always like to tell the story, and it's, I never come up with somebody else coined the, the phrase, but you, you say it tongue-in-cheek. If I'd have known grandkids were so much fun, I'd have had them first. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the, the trouble, the trouble you know, and you talk to, to people when you had your own kids. It's not that you didn't enjoy them, but you were so busy working that you, looking back, you never had the time to enjoy them. That is the one thing that I'll give the young generation credit for. They seem to enjoy their kids or have more time to enjoy their kids than what we used to, you know. Um, they get more involved with their kids. A lot of a lot of parents do. I mean, it's almost like they can't do enough for their kids. Sometimes it looks like it might be a little overboard, but no, it's a good thing. And when I was working, I mean, I missed a lot of my kids' activities because I was working, you know. Had to have a chance to do it over again, I probably would have, that's something I probably would have changed, spend more time with the kids. Now you fast forward now, I've got all the time in the world, so now I'm able to participate more with our grandkids and we've always the grandkids have always come home for the summer for 
for the most part, two months. Now the older ones don't have the time, but, uh, you know, that's just great times to spend with the kids at the lake, and they're doing their thing, and you're watching them, and uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a fun time. You know, when when you look back at your two daughters, or your grandkids, either or, um, as a role model, as a parent, as a grandparent, was there one thing that you taught them when they caught on to it? You're like, oh, man, that's cool. Well, I always believed in working hard, be dedicated, do the best that you can at whatever the situation was, you know, whether that be in school or sports or just, you know, whatever you're doing, try to do it to the best of your ability, you know, don't do things half-heartedly. And so far... My observation with my five grandkids, they're all doing that. And, of course, we have the oldest grandson who's dedicated to hockey, and he's you know, gives it, all, gives it his all. I said to him one time when he was a little guy playing hockey, I said, you know, if you want to succeed in playing hockey, and I don't profess to be a hockey guru, but I said, you got to work hard on both ends of the ice. You know, and he's followed that, and it's and and it's served him well. So it's just, it all comes back to whatever it is you're doing. Work hard and give it give it your best. Give it your you know, don't do things half heartedly. Those are if he ever listens to this. Those are the funnest hockey players to watch. Are the ones that work in both ends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sidney Crosby, the reason he is the best mm-hmm. player on the planet, and Oilers fans won't love to hear that. I certainly love myself some Connor McDavid, but Sidney Crosby for over a decade mm-hmm. has been a guy in the NHL that at both ends of the ice he seems to be mm-hmm. going, and it's yeah. fun to watch. And yeah. it's fun to play behind the guy who does that. Yes, and I couldn't agree with you more, and, and I told my grandson, it's funny you should say that, I said, you watch the two best hockey players in the world today, and you can argue which is what, whatever, they're both in a different era, Sidney Crosby and uh, Connor McDavid. And I said, if you really... When you're watching a game, focus on those two guys. And, of course, being here, we see Connor McDavid a lot more than we see uh, Sidney Crosby, you know, just because of where we live. But I said, he, he comes back as hard as anybody. He goes south hard and he comes north hard. That's the best player in the world or the second, but whatever, you know. And that's easy to do. That's just hard work. That's a mindset. It's yeah. a mindset, yeah. yeah. And so if you think about everything's a mindset, you know, we all have God-given abilities that just do the best you can with them. Somehow, you know, we're more gifted than others, and that's fine, but do the best that you can with what you have. Work hard, you know, and hopefully it pays off for you. And in most cases, I believe it does. But that's my personal opinion. There's very little for nothing in this world. And I look around at the people that have been successful, they all had one thing in common, they worked hard. You know. So that's kind of my take on life, just, you know, work hard and then at the end of the day when you get to be my age and you retire, learn to enjoy that too. Some people enjoy retirement more than others, but uh, retirement's something you gotta work at too. 
you know, to, 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 to enjoy yourself, you know. I mean, you gotta, you can't get up and do nothing every day. You gotta have something going on in your life. And so it's all, it's to me, in my mind, it's the same thing. Just work, work at whatever you do. Well, I appreciate you coming and sitting and chatting with me for oh, a bit. Yeah, Keith. it was enjoyable. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, haven't done one of these in a little while. Uh, COVID's obviously well, yeah, made it no. difficult. So yeah. I appreciate you, you getting in here and, and sitting well, yeah, down no, and having it, some yeah. time. Yeah. You know, as you get older, I guess that's what you, what you have to look, look at is what you've, the past, you know, of course, nobody can look into the future, but I don't have any major plans in the future. So I you dwell on the past and, you know, what could have been, should have been, you know, whatever. And try to live your life so you don't have a lot of regrets. That's kind of the bottom line. I think it's great. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Uh, my pleasure.